Let's have a moment of prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, in your mercy, you have given us your Son, Christ Jesus. And you have empowered us through the Holy Spirit. We ask now this morning that your word take deep root in our hearts, our souls, renewing us and transforming us so that we praise Jesus evermore, that we follow him and that we are witnesses. Enliven us, we pray. Amen. So today is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost means 50th. It is the 50th day after Passover or the 50th day after the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And it is the fulfillment of what Jesus told his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. I've mentioned it the past couple of weeks, but the Holy Spirit is vital to who we are as Christians. If it were not for the Holy Spirit, you and I would not have faith. If it were not for the Holy Spirit, we would not be the church. If it were not for the Holy Spirit, we would not be witnesses. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot be effective and have faith or be the church or be witnesses we would be powerless in all things. So, I know in the Lutheran churches, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit much, but somebody once told me I sound like a Baptist preacher, so here we are today. We got the Holy Spirit, right? So today, Pentecost Sunday, in the reopening, and really, it is so nice to see you, in the reopening of our church, we are going to understand more and more the work that God has done, God the Holy Spirit, in and through believers, all for the glory of Christ Jesus and the Father. And today, we are going to have and take a look at three things. The power of Pentecost, the prophecy of Pentecost, and the preaching of Pentecost. You know, you know I normally don't do alliteration, but today it seemed to work. The power of Pentecost, the prophecy, and the preaching of Pentecost. So let us begin our journey here and look at the power of Pentecost. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house. And they were where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterances. So Jesus had ascended. The disciples were all in a room, about 120 of the disciples, the apostles and the disciples. And they were there praying, worshiping together. And the Holy Spirit manifested himself in a very powerful way, three ways, wind, fire, and tongues. So let's explore these just briefly. Wind and fire. Now Luke states that there was a sound, the sound of a blowing of a violent wind. Doesn't say there was actually 
wind blowing, but it was the sound of a violent wind. So the spirit, pneuma, is often breath or wind. And we find with the Holy Spirit, with that breath or wind, breathing life into where there was no life, giving birth where there was no birth. So back in the beginning of creation, in the garden, the Spirit of God breathing life into Adam, filling him. Think of Ezekiel in the valley of dry bones where there was spiritual desert and the Spirit breathing life into the nation of Israel. And so now the Holy Spirit breathing life and creating a church where there was no church before. And fire. Fire is a symbol of purity and purification. It is to burn off what is unholy so that what is left is holy and pure. So the Holy Spirit is purifying the men and women for the sake of being witness. Now, I want to put this in here up front because we're going to talk about this several times throughout because a lot of people focus on the manifestation of the Spirit and how wonderful that manifestation was. And boy, don't we want that ourselves. But it becomes not about the glory of God. It becomes about our glory. So let us be clear up front. The manifestation and power of the Spirit was not for man's glory. It's all for God's glory. So when the Spirit is working in, on, and through you, it's not for your glory. It is for the glory of God. So there was wind and fire, breathing life, purifying, so that, so that they would be witnesses. Again, not for the glory of self, but for the glory of God in Christ Jesus. They would receive power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, they will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the first miracle of Pentecost was the manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit in wind and fire so that they would be witnesses. And then the second miracle is tongues. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Now imagine if you were there in the crowd, Pentecost, 50th day, huge gathering. And you saw a group of fishermen and other uneducated people. And they were all speaking in various different languages. You'd be like, look, I, I, I speak Greek and, and Peter's speaking Greek. And somebody goes, no, he's not speaking Greek. He's speaking Latin. Somebody else says, no, he's not speaking Latin. He's speaking Aramaic. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? I hear him in my own language. And other people are like, nah, come on. They're drunk. But Peter refutes that later on. He says, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. The third hour of the day would have been 9 a.m. Peter says, look, they're not drunk. 
See, what was happening here is that there were at least 15 different languages, at least 15 different languages, and each person could hear what they were saying in their own language. They could hear and understand what was being spoken with these tongues. So you must understand this, because a lot of people talk about tongues being babbling, and tongues is not babbling. The overwhelming, overriding purpose of tongues, it is a gift of language that is intelligible and intelligent so that others may come to faith. That was the miracle that happened, that people could understand and hear the word of God. For what did Paul write in Romans? He said, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So this was the manifestation of the spirit. And again, let's be clear about this because there are some of our Pentecostal charismatic brothers and sisters, friends, family, who focus so much on the manifestation of the Spirit that they miss the point. They want the Spirit for themselves, not for the witness. And it was for the witness of Christ Jesus. When you see people who want the Spirit just pouring out on them alone and not for being a witness, it's not for God's glory. It's for their glory. So let us be very clear. And now let's get this to a very fine point. The manifestation power of the Spirit is to bring people to faith or greater faith in Christ Jesus. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about that a couple times in different places here. So this is the power that happened the birth of the Christian church, the witness to the world. See, when you understand that, you understand then what comes and what follows in Peter's sermon. So now we're going to go to the prophecy of Pentecost. I've just got verse 14 on the screen, but I'm going to read through 18. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy prophesy, and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. So before we get to the prophecy, I just want to note, <clears throat> here's Peter. Peter, the fisherman, right? Didn't have a PhD. Hadn't gone to official seminary or rabbi school. He was a common man. He'd probably never spoken to large crowds like that before. He had never taken classes in homiletics and how to stand and how to do everything as they teach you in school. 
He had been one who had failed miserably. One who said, I will never deny you, and then denied Jesus. He was a man who had been humbled and then forgiven. And yet, he was also a man who had been with Jesus for three years and sat at his feet and soaked everything in, soaked in the very words of Jesus. And so now, on that day, empowered by the Holy Spirit, he stands up to a huge, huge crowd, and he speaks and preaches with an authority unlike anything else that has happened in his life so far. He says, men of Judea, Jerusalem, listen up, give ear to my words. And you and I should actually take pretty good comfort in that because in our day and age, we have made just the role of witnessing to be a professional role. Oh, that's the pastor's job. The pastor went to school and the pastor knows all of this stuff. And yes, we do go to school and we know stuff because we study. But if the Spirit is literally poured out on you, we should all then be empowered and lifted up to witness, to share. Now, does that mean we just rely on the Holy Spirit? We go, oh, okay, Holy Spirit, whenever you move me, move me. And so I don't have to study. I don't have to do anything. Well, no, that would be like an athlete who says, you know what? I prepared somewhat, but now I'm just going to eat uh, potato chips all day long and drink root beer. By the way, those are two favorite things of mine. So just sitting on the couch doing that, and then when the day of the race comes, the athlete can't run the race, right? Because the instrument, the body, is not ready. Look, Paul says he has dis disciplined himself. He studied. He learned. He went through everything. So then when the Holy Spirit called upon him to preach, and he preached a lot, he was ready. The instrument was ready. Peter had sat at the feet of Jesus. He was ready, whether he thought so or not. Now, let's take a look at Peter's sermon a little bit, the prophecy. I want you to notice what he didn't do. He did not start off with philosophy. Do you notice that? He didn't start off his sermon with philosophy. He didn't start it off with psychology, nor did he start it off with a joke. Growing up, I grew up Roman Catholic, and uh, at one point in my life, a, a very nice priest would always start off his sermons with a joke. Almost Henny, Henny Youngman one-liners, you know, that type of thing. Many years later, I remember a couple of the jokes. I don't remember anything of the sermons that he ever gave. Peter does not start off that way. You know what he does? He does something that most preachers nowadays wouldn't ever do. He starts off with the Old Testament. He doesn't say, oh, you know, I want to tell you a time I was sitting with Jesus. And I saw, no, he starts off with the Old Testament. He is truly Bible-based here. Just as Jesus says it is written, 
He starts off with Joel. Verse 16, 17 from our reading. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall see dreams. Shall dream dreams. Look, I don't know how many of you have recently looked at the book of Joel. You certainly can do that. It's short, three chapters. It was written about 870 B.C., so about 900 years, actually, by the time Jesus had been crucified, dead, and then raised. So 900 years. And Peter goes back to that book. And by the way, if you read any of the prophets from the Old Testament, it's not all just nice stuff. Most of them are talking about repentance, about sin, about coming back to the Lord. So Peter starts off with Joel. And he makes a statement so profound that it has impact today. And we understand something greater today than we've ever understood before. He says this phrase, in the last days. You see, Peter is making a demarcation. He's saying there was a time before Christ, and now that Christ has come, he will come again. We are in the last days. So if anybody ever asks you, are you in the last days? The answer is yes. We are definitely in the last days. What, is the, what are the last days? It is a period of the world which is ushered in by the first coming of Christ and continues until his second coming coming. We're in the last days. Now, Hebrews, letter of Hebrews also confirms this. Hebrews, beginning chapter one, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. So we're living in the last days. That, does that mean Armageddon, the big battle, is about to take place? No, that doesn't mean that at all. The last days is simply a period of time, and the end will come when Jesus comes in those clouds of glory. And thus... In this period, the Holy Spirit has poured out his spirit so that there is prophecy, so there are vision, so that there are dreams. And all of this, by the way, the purpose of the last days is so that people come to faith in Christ Jesus. That is the purpose of the last days because he ends by in quoting Joel and, it, Joel, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You want to know the reason for, for prophecy? You want to know the reason for vision? You want to know the reason for miracles? So that you and others may call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. That is the reason. 
So let's talk about prophecy a little bit. Prophecy. If you look at the Old Testament, go ahead. And by the way, I would encourage you, read Joel. It's short. It would take you 10 minutes probably at the most. Read Joel. Read any of the Old Testament prophets. And you're going to get a whole different idea of what prophecy is than what a lot of people make it to be in this day. You see, in the Old Testament, the prophets, their chief task was to confront people's sin, to bring them to repentance and restore them with a right relationship with God. This is a far, far cry from how you find prophecy in many churches today. In many churches today, they're going to say, well, the end of the world is going to be this date. And by the way, we've seen that fail time after time after time. They say, oh, well, the United States role in the end times is this. Really? Where is that in scripture? Or, and this is the worst. There are many churches in which prophecy is almost the same as fortune telling. I'm very serious. There are churches in which the supposed prophet will stand and say, you, sir, you in the back row with that, you, you, you play an instrument? Oh, a guitar, yes, guitar. That's going to bring you much joy in your life. That's the type of prophecy that passes nowadays in many, many different churches. That's not the prophecy that's being spoken of in the New Testament or the Old Testament. See, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it was more of not foretelling, but forthtelling. Thus says the Lord, repent and be restored. And nobody likes a prophet like that. Nobody wants that type of, oh, I don't want that prophecy. Thus says the Lord, repent, come to faith in Christ Jesus. That's not what I want. But go take a look and read any of the prophets from the Old Testament. Read Isaiah, read Jeremiah, read Ezekiel. And the same with visions and dreams, by the way. The vision that Ezekiel had, Valley of Dry Bones, scared him. The vision that John had. You want a vision? Read Revelation chapter 6, 7, and 8. Those are visions that people say, well, I didn't want that vision. But they bring us back and should always bring us back and point us, not to ourselves, but to God. The power of Pentecost. We should actually heed from Jeremiah chapter 23, 16, 17, because by the way, this is not a new problem that we just have in our modern church. This has been throughout the ages. It says in Jeremiah 23, 16 and 17, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hope, hopes. They speak visions of their own mind, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. 
Do you understand the prophecy of the Old Testament that there were many people who were doing the same thing in our, as doing in our churches nowadays? Now, in the early church, was there prophecy? You bet. Did it point to Christ Jesus? Yes. Was it for the glory of God? Yes. And it's the same with visions and with dreams. So some of you might be wondering, does God still heal today? Yeah, you better believe it. God still heals today. Does God, through the Holy Spirit, lead people into greater faith? Through dreams, through visions? Yeah, I believe he does. Does this mean that I can somehow call down the Holy Spirit and have the Holy Spirit do my bidding? No, it does not. Because if I think I can make the Holy Spirit do my bidding, whose glory is it for? Man's glory, not God's glory. See, we must always understand the Holy Spirit will move according to his will and working. I was talking with a a pastor not long ago, and this pastor is not of the charismatic um, denomination by any means. And yet, they were praying, and they were praying for sick people, and the sick people were being healed. And they were like, not us. As a matter of fact, the Pentecostal church called them and said, hey, would you come over to the hospital? We hear the Holy Spirit's moving in your church. And so they went over and they prayed for this person in the hospital and the person was healed. But this pastor said that was one that there was a period of time where the Holy Spirit moved and then not. Because the Holy Spirit works according to his will and his purpose. Now, we also must understand that prophecy is both here and future because Peter quoted Joel, right? And there are some things in Joel that we kind of go, that's not fulfilled yet. For example, I will show wonders in the heavens and above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapors, vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. That hasn't come to pass. And there's no concern on my part that it has not come to pass yet because we are in the last days, a period of time. When that happens, if you have not come to the Lord, it is time to come to the Lord because there are no second chances then. All right, so we have the power of Pentecost. We have the prophecy of Pentecost. And now, the preaching of Pentecost. I've got just verse 22 on there. I'm going to go through 24. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. 
Here's what I want you to notice about Peter's preaching. It was Christ-centered. If anybody wants to know who we are as a church, what do I tell them? I say we're Bible-based and Christ-centered. Exactly what Peter has been doing. He's been using the Bible. He is Bible-based, the Word of God, and he is Christ-centered. This sermon that Peter preached is the template, really, for all the messages and for who we are. So he preached Christ. He preached him crucified and then raised from the dead. This is the gospel message. He preached him as Lord and Savior. He preaches as God himself, God the Son. And he begins with these words, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. So Peter does something very interesting. He gives the name of Jesus and where he lived, where he was from. And this would have been known to everybody who was there at the crucifixion because on the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, in three different languages. By the way, I haven't mentioned this before, but in my office, if you're interested, uh, I was given a gift uh, by my wife last year for my birthday. My pastor actually, back in Minnesota, makes these. And so if you want to see the inscription, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, in three different languages, in my office. And below that, it also has a little picture that explains the importance of what is written there. I would encourage you to go take a look at that. So Peter says, Jesus of Nazareth. And then he says, attested by God. He means that everything, all the miracles that Jesus did, the feeding of the 5,000, the walking on water, changing water into wine, the healing of the lame, the restoring of sight to the blind, the raising of the dead. All of this was not of man, but of God. Confirmed by God himself. You see, what Peter's pointing out is that Jesus wasn't just somehow a good man, a nice prophet, maybe, maybe had certain powers, but of God himself. And he was stating that everything that Jesus did was done according to the Father's will. It was God's definitive, definite plan that Jesus do these things. Peter says, and this Jesus, the one you know, the one who is crucified, the one on the cross that says Jesus of Nazareth, he says, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So what we find here is Peter is pointing to the sovereignty of God. That it is God who planned all of this out. 
that he is the author of salvation, the author of redemption, the beginning and the end. Now, I wish for those of you who have been in Bible study, I wish you would have been in our Bible study in Ephesians in the very beginning, because we really dug into the sovereignty of God. What God had planned out before all creation. I want you to just listen a little bit from Ephesians chapter 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of all of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. Peter gives a very small snapshot of what Paul explains further. All according to God's will. And this was all done for you. For your sake. Because it was lawless men who killed Christ Jesus. What is lawless? Lawless means those who reject God's law, those who reject God's will, those who reject God's sovereignty, those who rebel at God, those who are dead in their sins. They are the ones who killed Christ Jesus, for whom he died. Now, I'm sure that that there were men in the crowd that they would say, well, we didn't kill him. I didn't kill, I didn't nail him on the cross. It was the Roman soldiers who did that. But Peter says, it was lawless men and you killed him. And we should hear Peter preaching us to us today that we killed Christ. That the blood that he shed was for our sin and for our lawlessness. This is the depth of what Jesus, what Peter is preaching regarding Jesus, regarding the Christ. But he doesn't end there. And today we're going to end with the good news. Because though your sin be great, God's grace in Christ Jesus is much greater. And although it does not say it, It has that sense of what he is going to say. All that sin, all that lawlessness, lawlessness, but God, but God. So it says, uh, don't have it there. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. He's giving the good news. He's saying, but God raised up Christ Jesus, and in Christ Jesus, there is no more curse of death. Death has no sting. 
In Christ Jesus, the curse of death has been broken forevermore. In Christ Jesus, there is no sting of death. Brothers and sisters of joy, of Fountain Hills, throughout the United States, this is the good news, that in Christ Jesus, we no longer fear death. He has paid the price. And in him, by faith, we inherit those promises. So, for part one today, I think this is a good place to stop because it ends with the good news, right? It says, in Christ Jesus in faith, we no longer fear death. So I have but one thing for you today. Normally I have like three, you know, just one. I would like you to earnestly pray for the Holy Spirit to work on, in, and through you, all to the glory of God the Father through Jesus Christ. Put the potato chips away, put the root beer away for a little while, right? Soak in God's word. Pray for the Holy Spirit to work on, in, and through you. All to the glory of God, not my glory, all to the glory of God the Father through Christ Jesus. That's your assignment for this week. Let's pray. Lord God, oh, we thank you. We thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy that you have poured out on us in Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit empowering us. Use us, shape us, convict us and comfort us and strengthen us in our faith. This I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joyccc.com.